don't have a Christmas message. Um, I wasn't uh, quite prepared for that, but I do have something else we're going to talk about. How many of you kind of ate yourself into a coma yesterday? <laughs> yeah, most, uh, a lot of us did. So, uh, so now we got some work to do, right? So uh, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. It's recognizing the finish line. And our anchor passage is in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Saturday, April 11th, 2015, Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon. It was the Pepsi Invitational and Outdoor Track and Field. The event was the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase. For those who don't know what that is, as of myself, I had to look it up. That's a 1.86-mile run comprised of 28 ordinary barriers and seven water jumps of which the runners must traverse before completing the sprint to the finish line. On this particular day, University of Oregon runner Tonche Pepio began the race in a relaxed position, not really pushing to the front, but setting a solid pace on this windy day in front of his home crowd. His game plan was to pick up the pace in the last 500 meters and pull ahead of the pack. At the last 500 meters, as the last 500 meters began, counting down, Pepio felt good. He took a solid lead ahead of the other runners. He felt alone in the lead, far ahead of the second place runners. Not a bad feeling to have as a runner. As he rounded the final turn, his home crowd began to cheer. All of his training, the sacrifices he had made, the aching muscles, the strict diet, the hours and days on the field were about to pay off. As he got closer to the finish line, the roar of the spectators demanded a response. Pepio turned to his home crowd at the University of Oregon and waved for them to take the celebration up a notch. As he turned his attention not back to the finish line, but to the big screen above, he noticed University of Washington runner Marin Simon gaining on him. Pepio tried to pick up the pace, but it was too late. Simon beat Pepio in the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase on his home turf by one-tenth of a second. For a moment, Pepio lost sight of the finish line. The cheering of his home crowd told him he had already won. He'd already crossed the finish line, and it was time to wind down. Simon, however, was looking for the finish line, keenly aware of his surroundings, but focused on the finish. In an interview after the race, Simon stated, I thought he had me. I thought he was just so far ahead, but I just went through the line and raced. Throughout the New Testament, our lives as Christians are compared to a foot race. As such, I believe it would behoove us to understand a few fundamental things about racing, some abilities that all racers must have. First is to recognize the starting line. Second is understanding the race. 
The third is recognizing the finish line. And I know this sounds simple. Everyone should know the difference between the starting line and the finish line, right? Well, you'd think. However, all too many times as Christians, we have a hard time telling the two apart. And allow me to explain this morning. Let's begin at the obvious place, the starting line. First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now I know what you're thinking. This passage, this passage talks about the last time. This must be talking about the finish line. And I'm glad you noticed, but we will revisit that part a little bit later. But I want to f- focus on the uh, first part of this passage. You know, as redeemed sinners, uh, we can sometimes get the starting line and the finish line mixed up. Uh, For those of us who have grown up in church like myself, uh, most likely your parents, family, uh, friends were uh, kind of all looking forward to that moment when you realize you're a sinner and you come to that point of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, They've been praying for you, talking to you, teaching you about what Jesus did and why he did it, all in an effort to get you prepared for that moment. And when that moment comes, there's joy, there's celebration, and and honestly, as a parent, uh, there's a sense of relief. When my children accepted Christ, I felt a huge burden lifted off me. I knew that now, no matter what happened to them in this world, they would be forever safe in the arms of Jesus. I felt like I had won the race. All this prayer and teaching and concern for my kids had paid off. For those who maybe didn't grow up in a Christian family, you might have had a rough life. Your journey to the cross may have been filled with hurt and pain and disappointment. You may have been carrying unbearable burdens before you were introduced to the one whose yoke is easy and burden is light. But finally, you reach this place of peace and rest. While all this is true, you've run a difficult race up to that point with obstacles and traps and setbacks. And now maybe it feels like you've arrived. This must be the finish line, right? Well, I grew up in church. I was saved when I was 10 years old. I had tons of people praying for me. I remember the conviction, the uneasiness, the restless nights of, of no sleep before I accepted Christ. I also remember the extreme feeling of joy and relief when I finally placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I wanted to tell everyone. didn't matter if it was in the middle of the night. I was calling everybody that I had their number, right? That I wanted them to know it was a matter of celebration, and rightly so. Luke 15.10 tells us there is joy before the angels over one sinner who repents. But what I want you to understand today is getting saved is not the finish line. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Salvation is 100% something to celebrate and something to pour your prayers and concerns into regarding others. But it is not the end. Verse 16 of our anchor passage says to hold true to what we have attained. This is past tense and refers to our salvation. Our salvation is not something we work for. It's already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We accept the gift and it becomes ours because it was first his to give in the first place. Jesus is the one who purchased our salvation and then offered it to us for free. 
Not that we could ever afford it in the first place. Now, if we look back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter describes a living hope, a living hope. Now, hope is something that we look forward to, not something that we already have. And the living part implies action. It implies movement, not the end of the line, not our final resting place. Salvation is not the end of our journey with Christ. 1 Peter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we join the race. And we have not only joined this crazy, amazing voyage with Christ, but we join the land of the living. We were dead in our sins, but we are now made alive in Christ. Alive. We have a living, a living hope in our Savior. Salvation is not our finish line, it's our starting line. When we fully understand that concept, we begin to look at our lives much differently. So if salvation is our starting line, then what's what's next? Where do we go from there? We must understand the race itself. And how that operates. We start at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was the seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for his wounds. You have been healed by his wounds. You have been healed. We are called to run this race of faith because of Christ's example, to follow his example. First John 419 tells us we love because he first loved us. He came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, he suffered and died and bore our sins on a cruel cross so we could be reconciled to our creator. He blazed that trail for us to follow. Our race is a response to his grace. If we look at Titus chapter 3, starting with verse 1, it says, Remind them to be submissive, submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid, avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope, to the hope of eternal life. We don't race to obtain our salvation. That's a race that we could never win. We race because he saved us. Again, past tense. That's that hold true to what we attained, have attained part that we talked about earlier. Grace is the why. Grace is the why behind why we run, why we run in our Christian faith. So how should 
we run? Is there a proper technique? Is there a certain stride? Is there a certain way I need to hold my hands when I run this race? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, generally speaking, we should run to please God. But in the Greek, the phrase rightly handling, or in some translations, rightly dividing, literally means to make straight or smooth, to handle aright. In other words, we should know where we are headed, get moving, avoid detours and distractions along the way. Our actions, words, and thoughts should be founded in the word and executed in a manner pleasing to God. We should leave no room for embarrassment or regret. We should also run with endurance. Again, looking at Christ as our example. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance to the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ endured the cross on our behalf. He found joy in perfecting our faith. He found joy in being beaten, tortured, hung on a cross to die. He knew that that's what it took to get us to the finish line. That is how much he loves us. Verse 12 and 15 through 15 go on to say, Therefore, let lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, I used to run on a regular basis. And when I say regular basis, I mean like three, four, five times a week. Um, I know you're looking at me now. I'm thinking, no way. That's, uh, this was a, a pastime. So at one time, I was uh, a pretty uh, avid runner, I guess you would say. But uh, anyway, I remember, I still remember, that time when I was running on a regular basis, I remember the pain that came along with that. I remember my calves burning and it just working its way up my legs and my, my quads and my hamstrings and my lungs were burning. And before long, I literally felt like I was on fire. Um, and then I remember thinking, why in the world am I doing this? This is terrible. But I still got up every morning and got out and ran. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They did it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an unperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, there were one of three reasons why I continued to run, even though it was so awful. One, I had someone running with me, and even though I wasn't quite as quick as they were, I knew that uh, if they could make it, then I could make it as well. And I wasn't going to give up 
on them. Uh, I had also seen and felt the benefits of the healthier habits, and I want to continue to reap those benefits. Or I may have been preparing for a race or an event that I had already signed up for, and I knew I had to race, a race to run, and I had a, a finish line to reach, and I had to be prepared for that. You know, in my preparation, I even started taking supplements. Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken supplements before. I drank protein shakes and these like nasty energy bars. I ate those. And uh, even, uh, you know, some, uh, there's some thirst quenching gum that you can chew like on longer runs. And it's disgusting as well for the record. Uh, but, uh, you know, some, you know someone's getting serious when they walk, uh, you know, walk out of this nutrition store with like these bundles of unpronounceable substances uh, that are designed to enhance you know, your athletic performance. And, and I find it very interesting that Peter used the same concept in relation to our faith. If we look at First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them they may become partakers excuse me, of a divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, we make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine someone walking out of the nutrition store with that many supplements? The Greek word here for supplement is to bring in or to supply besides. Peter is not telling us these actions save us. He is saying they add to our faith. They enhance it. They allow us to be a more effective runner in this race. They keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. Remember that hold true to what you have attained in the past already Peter is telling us if we do not supplement our faith in these ways, we are forgetting the eternal forgiveness we have received in Christ. Peter is imploring us to prove ourselves as runners. Paul spoke in Romans chapter 12. He gives us the mark of, true, of a true Christian. It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, Outdo one another in showing honor. Have you ever tried to outdo someone in honor? Try that sometime. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath 
of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you might heap coals, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A long list of qualifications, of things that we should strive for, not qualifications, but things that we should work towards in being a runner, and being a runner. The marks of a true runner are not found in church attendance. That is important, and you will see a true runner of the faith in church, but there's more to it than that. The marks of a true runner are not in appearances, although there are merit in how you, there's merit in how you present yourselves to others, especially the lost. The marks of a true runner are variations of love, real love, as defined by the Word of God. First John chapter 4, starting with verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. We run for Jesus, plain and simple. Our efforts, our performance, our endurance is all an outpouring of our love for Christ, our love of Christ, which is within us. The love is not something that we produce on our own or able to do by our own merit, but rather a reflection of the gospel, a reflection of the love of Christ that is within us. So if salvation is the starting line, and we are to run the race with endurance, uh, down a straight path, and with a continuous outpouring of love for Christ, then where's the finish line? Recognizing the finish line, let's take a look at 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, our salvation is 100% secure. The blood of Christ paid that price a long time ago. There's not anything that we could do to purchase that, nothing that we have that could pay towards that debt. That's why Paul referred to those of us who are being saved. Jesus' work continues on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. Now, just to clarify, Paul is not speaking about earning our salvation here. If we go back to that living hope that Peter was talking about, Jesus is the one securing the prize, continually bridging the gap between us and the Father until we make it home one day. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. In Hebrews seven twenty five. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our finish line is with our Savior. 
Our prize is guaranteed. However, we should really run as if it weren't. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting on verse 24, says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an unperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as beating at the air. Again, Paul is not saying that we must run in order to receive the prize, but because the prize has already been promised. Our race is a response to the cross. Christ endured the cross on our behalf. He found joy in perfecting our faith. He found, he found joy in being beaten and tortured and hung on the cross. We look at Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight your paths of your feet. Excuse me. Make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, rather be healed. We are here only for a short time. This is not our home. We must have our sights set on eternity. While we are here, our race should point to Christ. It should bring honor and glory to Him. When people see us running, they should not have to ask where we are going. They should not wonder what finish line we are headed towards. Have you ever seen somebody staring at something and you just have this compulsion to stare at whatever they're staring at? And find out what they're looking at. When I was uh, in MBSF in college, we did this scavenger hunt. And one of the tasks was to make a group of people look in the same direction without actually telling them to do so. So, um, so my team and I, we like whipped into this gas station. We all hopped out of the car and we just got out and just looked straight up in the air. People were coming out of the gas station looking up in the air <laughs> to find out what we were staring about. They wanted to know what happened. Everyone was, what are these crazy kids looking at? All right. When Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ who is yours appears, then also will appear with him, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our sights should be set on Christ, and others should see us and wonder what we're looking at. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, said, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Our eyes should be fixed on glory, fixed in such a way that others wonder what we're staring at. Our focus on the finish line should testify to the gospel of the grace of God. On 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul is talking about keeping his eye on the prize. He implored the church to keep running the race, finish strong, set your sights on the finish line, and run a race worthy of of your calling. Remember our runner in Oregon? That's the opposite of what Paul is telling us 
to do. He let the world around him distract him, and it cost him the race. Salvation is definitely something to celebrate. And once we have it, no amount of distraction or mistake or failure can take that away. However, that celebration shouldn't be like your final blowout party, like you're done. It should be more like a battle charge because our finish line is in heaven. Our block party blowout, end-all, be-all celebration is going to take place in the presence of our Savior, the one who made that celebration possible. 2 Peter 1.11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the king, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our finish line is our eternal home with our Savior. And a richly provided entrance at that. Can you imagine that? We should run like we are excited to get there. Philippians 3, verse, started with verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on forward to, excuse me, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.